Welcome to Law for Community Workers On The Go, a series of podcasts designed specifically for community workers, health workers and anyone else who works to support people in their community. This series is brought to you by the Community Legal Education Team here at Legal Aid New South Wales and our aim is to help you help your clients. We hope you enjoy today's episode and that you learn something new and interesting. Hi, I'm Natalie Newman from Legal Aid. Today we're talking about the National Redress Scheme for people who have experienced institutional child sexual abuse. It's a really important topic for community workers to know about and this podcast is in two parts, so please stay with us and listen to part one and part two. Before we start, a warning. We are discussing child sexual abuse today. This podcast contains some confronting graphic descriptions which may distress some listeners, so please look after yourself and feel free to pause or stop the podcast. There are links to support organisations in the podcast notes. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that we are recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay our respects to Elders, both past and present, across Australia. I'm here today with Prue Gregory, who's the Principal Solicitor from the No More Legal Service. So welcome, Prue. Thanks, Natalie. I'm going to start today by asking you, what do you love about your job? What I love about my job is I've actually seen changes in people's lives. It's probably the hardest group of clients I've ever worked with, and I've been in the community sector for more than 20 odd years. These clients generally are my age, so in their 60s. They've been sexually abused as children, you know, when they were as young as six or seven in an institution, and they're sitting opposite me in their 60s, and I know they're not going to get their life back. And if I can, one, listen to them, and often listen and accept what they're saying to me, uh, and in many cases that's the first time that's happened, and that's just an incredibly humbling experience. But also then to see the changes that take place, for not all clients, but for the majority of our clients, the changes takes place. Just as an example, when I got to the uh, apology yesterday, I was just standing by myself waiting to go into the House of Reps and a man who was just being very, very genuine, just wanted to circulate and get to know people, came up to me and he said, oh, my name's X and who are you? And I said, I'm Prue Gregory. And he said, you're not. And I said, well, yes, I am. And he said, do you know how many times you've spoken to me? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And he told me his name and it vaguely rang bells. He said, you you were life-changing for me. And it was really, it just anchored me into the importance of the work that we're doing. Um, and it may just seem another client you've spoken to that day. But obviously, and this was really early on, this was 2013 I spoke to this man, and, and to see him looking well, um, being a strong advocate for survivors, and it's simply because I think he's, he was believed himself and has been able to start on the journey of healing. And that's, I mean, you can't take that away from the, the importance of that. Mm. And, and to think that we're, no more is just part, a tiny part of this process is incredible. It's just an incredible honour to be doing the work I'm doing. Do you want to start by explaining, I guess, what is No More Legal mm. Service? How did it start? How did it has it evolved over yeah. since 2013? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, it, it is the first time that a legal service has been attached to a Royal Commission and this Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, it was felt that 
people who'd been abused in an institution wouldn't come to an institution mm -hmm. to tell what had happened. So the National Association for Community Legal Centres suggested to the Labor government at the time that they consider setting up an independent and free legal service. Little did they know that the government would turn around and say, great idea, you set it up. Um, and so within a matter of months, so that was November, December 2012, by um, April, May 2013, No More was set up and ready to go. And you've been involved since that time? I came on board um, the 1st of July yep. 2013. Our phones were turned on on the 8th of July. The commission itself got underway at the end of 2012 and started taking evidence in April 2013. Uh, we, when we first turned on the phones in July 2013, we didn't know if we were going to get anyone phoning us, whether anyone else thought that they might need to speak to a, a legal service before engaging with the Royal Commission. Um, but we spoke to just under 9,000 people over the five years of the Royal Commission um, and were the legal service doing the duty lawyering at each of the public hearings. So it was an important service and we certainly took our advocacy role very seriously and participated in a number of roundtables and responded to nearly all of the issues papers that the Royal Commission put out. So we were taking our role incredibly seriously in terms of supporting clients, but also realising that we were getting a lot of information, which meant that we were quite informed in making submissions. And that's gone on. Um, the Royal Commission at the end, in its final report, suggested that a the government continued to fund a dedicated legal service and suggested no more be it. Um, and that happened in February this year, that we got funding for three years to enable us to continue to provide survivors with information about the redress scheme, but also about their compensation options more generally. So that's what we've been doing. So let's break that down now and talk to people about what is the National Redress Scheme mm. and what those other options are. Yeah, sure. So the National Redress Scheme um, has been set up for survivors of institutional child sexual abuse. Uh, it, the redress itself, as per the recommendation of the Royal Commission, comprises three parts. It's a monetary payment of up to 150000 though the Royal Commission recommended 200000 It's access to counselling and it's a direct personal response if the person or the survivor wants it. And surprisingly, or not, um, most of our clients are very much interested in that direct personal response. The money is going to be fantastic, but they do want to hear from the organisation. There's an apology and acknowledgement of the abuse that happened and a, a really strong commitment that the abuse that they experience is not going to happen to children today. That's what they really want. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that, that in itself is humbling that they're not banging on doors saying, I want you know, $3 million. They're just saying, I want to know this is not going to happen again. And there might be other options. I think you mentioned before in some institutions there might be a library, for example, that's yes. been named after a perpetrator yep. and people want that to come yep. down. And to give institutions their due, they are really listening. Mm. I mean, obviously most of the people in the institutions today weren't the parties that headed or moved priests on and genuinely want to be able to acknowledge the harm they've caused and to move forward and and so they 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 are genuine in listening and so if there's things that taking a name down from a library planting a tree mm. um then it's whatever the survivor actually thinks and mm. if it's doable they'll do it which is great it's mm. really great to see and how does a scheme work like who is eligible to apply for the national redress scheme mm. so 
To apply to the redress scheme, you need to have been sexually abused as a child, so it's under 18, within an institutional context. Um, you need to um, be an Australian citizen or a permanent resident. And they're the main criteria to make you eligible. People who can't apply, uh, if you have already got a judgment from a court in relation to that abuse, and there aren't many, there are only four or five cases in Australia, so there aren't that many people, you can't apply. And the reason behind that is that the court has applied a higher standard of proof, and that's being found so that you can't apply for redress. People who are in prison, while they're in prison, generally can't apply. There are some exceptional circumstances, which we can talk later. Um, and, and so they're, they're the general restrictions on people applying for redress. And if people have received a settlement yes, from settlement. the institution or applied under a, a former scheme that an institution has set up, mm. that doesn't prevent Do, them from applying? doesn't prevent them. Mm. There are questions that they have to answer in the application form and that they will that, that will be taken into account um, and deducted in some manner from the assessed amount for, of redress. So if they're, for example, if they're assessed at $100,000, they've received $40,000 two years ago from Towards Healing, which was the Catholic scheme, that um, amount will be indexed and at 1.9% per annum, so for the two years, and that total amount will be deducted from the 100000 Prue, some listeners may not have heard about Towards Healing. Can you please explain what that is? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and it's still existing. So it's an, an internal Catholic process where, um, and, and it, it was designed in the 1990s and it has been picked up at various points by the Catholic diocese around Australia, apart from Melbourne, which has its own Melbourne response. But it, it's meant to be a very gentle process of investigating a claim, offering support to the person, and then assessing the what that claim is actually worth. The criticism it has been, both within the Catholic Church and externally, is that it's the Catholic Church investigating the Catholic Church. Um, and all of the... I mean, the, the Anglicans have got it, the Uniting Church have had... Um, and Salvation Army have had their own internal schemes, and they've been running a long... Um, and some will continue to run, some will stop once the National Redress Scheme has kicked in and they've joined in. Um, but I, I understand that Anglicans will continue their scheme, um, Uniting Church parts will, parts won't. So again, it's a case of coming to us and talking to us because some of the Anglican schemes are at 200000 So you would be mad to go to redress when the Anglicans are offering 200000 so it's, each case needs to be looked at and, and detailed advice given on a case-by-case basis. And I think one of the main points of this podcast, I guess, is to let community workers know about the National Redress Scheme and also about No More, and particularly that people should get legal advice yes. from you and that it's free, confidential, and there's just so many different options available even before you even think about applying. But it's really important now in, in the current climate that the client gets good advice as to whether or not they have a viable common law claim before they go down the redress pathway. For a couple of reasons, if the client is really looking for a monetary payment, then redress is not going to be it. We know the compensation payments are considerably higher 
than 150,000, which is the maximum under redress. The people can get in the courts. Is that they can higher. get in 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 settlement out, um, and in court proceedings. So it is something that people should be taking into account before they go down redress. The other issue is that once you've completed the redress pathway and you've decided to accept the amount that's on offer, you will be asked to sign a deed of release, which means any civil litigation or common law claim that you want to make will have come to an end. You can't do it. So that it's really important that people get good legal advice up front. And the other thing that we are telling clients, even if they've got legal advice 12 months ago, that the there's no um, option for them in terms of common law or civil litigation to go back and check that because the the climate has changed so much in 12 months. They just need to check that that still is relevant to them. Because some states might have changed their exactly. laws in the meantime. Exactly. And how many people overall do you expect to be eligible to apply? Well, the Royal Commission said 60,000. I've been doing a lot of public speaking across Australia since February this year. My feeling is it's more than 60. There are a lot of people who never engage with the Royal Commission, a lot of people who have just flown below the radar and uh, are coming forward now and seeing people approaching the end of their lives and wanting to get get it off their chest. This happened to me as a kid. I need to tell someone. Um, So I I think 60,000 may be conservative. And Prue, what's NOMOR's role in assisting those 60,000 people? We're, we're strongly encouraging people to take their time. There's 10 years to do yeah, this. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Um, make sure that the client is really getting really good legal advice mm-hmm. as to what their options are. Worryingly, though, and I guess it's the cohort, 14% of the callers to date um, have indicated they have a life-threatening illness, mm-hmm. um, which means we need to get their applications in very quickly. So 14% is a large number. Yes. Um, and, and so... They they are what we term redress ready, and we will do their applications and get them in straight away. The advantage to this particular scheme is if a completed application is received, um, it will be progressed through this this the scheme, and sh- even though the person may die through that progression, the payment will be made to their estate. So it's really important that we get our skates on and get those applications. In, even if the institution hasn't joined, it can sit and wait until they've joined. And unfortunately, the person may die during the process, but it will then, the mon- once the institution has joined, the monetary payment will go to the estate. Get legal advice. Yeah, <laughs> as always. And let's just clarify that question around who's joined the scheme what states mm. need to join what institutions need to join and why and how yeah. that all works <laughs> look it's it's a very complex legal uh, and constitutional issue mm. the commonwealth under the constitution doesn't have what we call a head of power to create a national redress scheme it is dependent on the states referring that particular power back to the commonwealth as of today's date, which is the 23rd of October 2018, the only states who have referred powers are New South Wales and Victoria. The Commonwealth obviously is in, as is the ACT. We anticipate on the 1st of November 2018 that Queensland and Tasmania will have referred powers and that early 2019 we'll see Western Australia and South Australia and the Northern Territory referred powers. Once they've referred powers, the institutions in those states and territories can then join the scheme. So until that happens, 
you can't progress your application. So you need two things. You need the state where you were abused to have joined the scheme and you need the institution that you were abused in also to have joined the scheme. And in some cases, it will be the state who controlled or managed the institution. Mm. So once the states join, people who were abused in those state-run institutions, they can apply. So right now, the people who are abused in, for example, New South Wales, um, juvenile justice centres, can come in straight away. They can lodge their applications. Paramedic Girls Home is a case in point. Uh, Anyone abused in those, sexually abused in, in Paramedic Girls Home, is able to lodge their application because New South Wales is in and it was a New South Wales-run facility. So who's not in the scheme? Obviously, this information is accurate at today's date, but hopefully will change. So people who are listening to this podcast should check on the National Redress Scheme website for an up-to-date list of who has joined. Quite a few. So the Catholic Church is not in, the Anglican Church is not in, the United Church is not in, um, Swimming Australia, Tennis Australia... So the, it's easier to say who's in, which mm. is Scouts New South, Scouts across Australia, YMCA and Salvation Army. So we've only got three institutions who have actually joined the scheme. A lot of them are saying they're going to join and we will hold them to that. So how do people get in touch with No More? What's the first step? So the, the first point of contact is through our 1800 line. And the phones will be answered by an intake worker. We've now got a duty lawyer scheme in place so that if it's just a question about the application form, I don't know how to fill in question 44, that goes off to a duty lawyer because it's a, there's no reason why that person should be left to wait for three or four weeks for a lawyer to contact them when it's a simple question which could be answered by a duty lawyer. So the duty lawyer, um, the lawyers are, are rostered on each day um, for an entire day, so we've got 20 odd lawyers, they then take a day each and they they respond to those questions either that day or the next day. So the I and, and similarly with a community worker phoning with a question, that will be identified as a duty lawyer question and they should get a response within one or two days of phoning no more for, for just some general advice as to how to complete a, an application form or, or whether this person's eligible. And then what's the next step? What we would do is provide legal advice as to the options and the client may say, look, I just want to do the application form. If they're a priority client, they will, so there's a life-threatening illness, they will be put into a fast track and the lawyer will be in touch with them within one or two weeks. If there's no priority issues then it will be allocated to a legal team and they will get back to the person within three or four weeks. If it's an application that needs to be done that generally takes an hour to two hours to do and we'll do those in bite-sized chunks for the client. Um, It's quite intense work and we're very much aware that we want to do, do no further harm so that we will just check in with the client as to how they're going and that, that could take us two or three meetings to finish the application form. We'll get the supporting materials and then lodge the application form. If the institution itself, so if it's a state government institution, is in or, for example, if it's the Salvation Army in New South Wales, we know they're in, then there's no reason for a delay in the department in progressing that application through. We understand that it's three to six months for a straightforward application to be 
progressed through Department of Human Services, then the notice of determination comes out and the person has six months to accept or reject it. If they accept it within a month and send it back with a signed statutory release, the payment should be made within three or four business days into their account. So when, when you complete the application, you're asked to give your bank account details. It's important to realise that the bank account must be in your name or if it's joint name, you must be one of the, the people who, who are on that joint name bank account and they will pay that money into that account. So once No More has helped a client with an application, does No More have an ongoing role with that client's journey through the redress scheme? If they appoint us as an assistance nominee, some people don't. They just want us to lodge it. So we just post it into DHS, the Department of Human Services, and then they will then contact the client all the way through. If they want us to be an assistance nominee, um, that's another form, series of forms that we fill in. An assistance nominee, what is that exactly? There are two types of nominees. Um, the first is a legal nominee, and you really do need to be aware of the existence of, of the, a legal nominee. And so that's someone who's um, where a client has some uh, disability or early onset dementia, and a financial manager has been appointed, or there's a power of attorney which is in place right now. So it actually means that that client can't give you instructions. You need to get instructions from either the financial manager, the person appointed by, by as the financial manager, or the person who has, holds the power of attorney. That's a really important question that you need to work out first. Um, and, and increasingly, they will be issues because of the ageing of the cohort of these clients. However, Many community workers, and certainly we are being asked no more, to be an assistance nominee, which means that you're basically a letterbox so that you can lodge it, you can talk to the Department of Human Services or community community workers can, can um, talk to the Department of Human Services on behalf of the client. You can also request a review, but you certainly can't sign the application and nor can you accept or reject an application for the client. So that's it's, you're basically a, a post office. My, my tip for any um, community worker who is signing off on being an assistance nominee, fantastic, it's, it's a great thing to do, but be aware that there's one important time limit in this process, and that's the six months from when the notice of determination is received. The client has six months to accept it, but... They also have six months to reject the offer. But importantly, if the scheme does not hear from the client within the six months, it's taken to have been rejected and there's no comeback. There's no way you can make another application. There is only one application that can be made. So you've lost your opportunity. So for community workers, it's really important when you are that post office box and you get that notice of determination and suddenly you realise you've lost your client... You only have six months to find that client, but it's important in your initial instructions that you make sure you have plenty of other contact people and numbers for that client so that should you get into the unfortunate situation of having lost that client, you do have other contact names and numbers who can hopefully find your client and get them to get in touch with you before the expiration of the six months.
And there's also um, redress support services, mm. is that right? And you can find out who they are through the National Redress yeah. website. website. So what's their role? Their role is to help people complete the application form and also to support them through that process. And it could be that some of the community workers who are listening to the mm. webinar are actually redress support services, yeah. They're funded by the Department of Social Services to provide that to provide support through the application process and to help the person through that process. Um, so once you've got a determination, there's you can accept it, reject it, or ask for a review. And I think you mentioned before that there's some caution should be had around a review yes. request. And the the situation. So say for example, you've you've received a hundred thousand dollars, and you're pretty convinced that you should have got the maximum of 150 and you want you're also equally sure you want to review it my word of caution is that there's nothing in the legislation that will mean that you are in no worse off position so it's possible when it goes on review that the decision goes on review and it goes to another decision maker that you could end up in a worse situation so you could end up with sixty thousand dollars because the second independent decision maker decides that in fact there was a mistake made and you should have got 60 not 100 you can't come back and say ah oh, well look we, we won't accept the review we'll go with the first offer you can't um, unfortunately the legal process is such that it's the review amount reviewed amount that you will have to accept so a word of caution when a client is a bit gung-ho about wanting to review that they just need to be made aware that it's possible they could be in a worse position mm. This might be a sensitive question, but probably something that people want to know about. What kind of cases at this early stage have you seen getting the maximum amount of 150000 It's It's a tough one. I have heard of one person who's got 150000 Okay. Um, and I heard of that in Melbourne last week. Mm-hmm. There's 1,700 applications have been lodged with the department, and there's probably just over 10 now decisions have been made. Um the department had told me that, and that this was um, at the beginning of last week, that no one had received the maximum. But by the end of the week, I've now been told someone has received the maximum. Um, the types of abuse, unfortunately, it, the the type of abuse will will be the indicator as to whether or not you receive the maximum. So if it's penetrative abuse in an orphanage, um, and there was physical abuse that went with it, um, that is likely to give you the, mm. the maximum. We have argued that someone who's been exposed to sexual abuse doesn't and and the, the impact is taken as being far less than penetrative abuse. We have argued that often it was the same, if not higher, than penetrative abuse, simply because of the hypervigilance that was built into being exposed. And you just wonder at what point is it going to escalate? Um, and so the impact of that exposure abuse was often higher than someone who's been raped and and they just think, well, the worst has happened to me. Nothing more can... I mean, there's terrible conversations to be having. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the impact on them is, is not the same as someone who's constantly hypervigilant I'm vigilant. When is it going to get worse? And if people moved from to different institutions, different orphanages, um, are they able to claim multiple times? No, there's one application. And what will happen is you will list the institutions where you were abused, and the decision maker will then apportion 
across those institutions. So generally it'll be 50-50 if there were two, but it could be that you're in the Salvation Army for 10 years and only in state care for two, so that the, the apportionment will, will reflect that. So Prue, where is the money coming from? So this was a really important question that I was asked yesterday when I was interviewed by the ABC. Again, there's some misconceptions about where the money's coming from. And that's the, that's the whole reason why we want the institutions to be joined, because to be joined to the scheme, they need to show that they've got the financial capacity to meet the payments. So what will happen is a monetary payment, a monetary determination will be made, it will be accepted. The Commonwealth will then pay that amount of money to the person. So the person doesn't have to worry about where the money is coming from. The Commonwealth will then issue three months in arrears tax invoices to the institution responsible. For the full so, amount. For the full amount. And and they will need to also to be paying uh, any counselling that's been assessed and and an amount towards our costs, which is, I think it's, it's $1,000 for each of the institution pays towards no more, which goes mm-hmm. nowhere near yeah. recommencing us, but it, it just goes into the general revenue for, for the Attorney General's department. So it's, it's important for people to realise that the institution will be paying for the amount of money, but it's important also for the clients to realise they don't have to wait for the institution to pay. The Commonwealth will pay and then seek to recover from the institution. And what what happens if somebody is abused in an institution that hasn't joined the scheme or might never join the scheme? Then there's nothing available for them. So that's when we do the searching as to funder of last resort, and that's really important. Um, we had hoped that funder of last resort provisions would be far broader than they are. Um, and so where the, the local cricket club no longer exists or an orphanage no longer exists, we had hoped that the funder of last resort provision, so the, the state government or the Commonwealth government, would actually pick up the tab. But the legislation is such that it, the to, for those provisions to kick in, the government must have had shared responsibility for the, the care of that person. So what we're looking at is, for example, an orphanage that no longer exists, but if the person was a state ward in that orphanage, then the state government would have had would be a funder of last resort because they would be seen to have had some responsibility for the child as a state ward. If the parent put the child into that organisation, into an orphanage that no longer exists, the state government had no knowledge of that child being there. It's really unlikely that the funder of last resort provisions would kick in. So there would be nothing available. But we'd give it a good shot. We'd certainly give it a go. If someone was abused at an institution that hasn't joined the scheme, those people should still contact No More? Absolutely, absolutely. And also to go to the the National Redress website where there's um, a drop-down box where you can type in your organisation or the institution you were in, even if the historical name, they've got all of that information in there, um, and just to check to see if it's actually covered by the scheme. So you can do that yourself as well, Or, or the community workers can do that. That brings us to the end of part one. Make sure you join us for part two, which is already available on Podbean or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in today. We think this is information that is relevant to all Australians, so why not tell everyone at your work or even play a bit at your next team meeting? Make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts from so you know when our latest episodes are released. 
If you have other topics you want to know more about, uh, please just send us an email and we'll be in touch. Make sure to subscribe to our e-alerts as well. They let you know about free webinars and workshops, as well as any changes to the law that might be relevant to your work as a community or health worker. And you can subscribe to that by following the links in the show notes. So until next time, thanks again from the CLE branch here at Legal Aid New South Wales.